Hello, welcome to Movie Culture. Today, we are talking about Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2 was released in 1999, and it was Pixar's third feature film. The movie was directed by John Lasseter, and it returns to the world where toys come to life when humans aren't around. If it's been a while since you've seen the movie, here's a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it recently, we'll put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. A few years after the original Toy Story, Andy accidentally tears Woody's arm during playtime, revealing some cotton stuffing, which relegates Woody to the broken toys shelf. There, he begins to understand the plight of discarded toys, and when Andy's mom hosts a yard sale, Woody tries to save some of these toys from being sold off. As he's trying to save the other toys, he's found and stolen by Al, the owner of Al's toy barn. Buzz forms a plan to save Woody before Andy notices he's gone. At Al's office, Woody learns that he's based on an old TV show called Woody's Roundup, and he meets the other toys from the show, Cowgirl Jesse, his horse Bullseye, and Stinky Pete the Prospector. Now a complete set, Al can sell them all to a toy museum. Woody protests, wanting to return to Andy, which upsets Jesse, who will be returned to storage if Woody leaves. When Woody learns that Jesse was discarded by her owner, Emily, he fears that one day he will suffer the same fate from Andy. Woody decides to stay, swayed by the permanence of the museum and his new companions. Meanwhile, Buzz leads some other toys on a perilous journey to Al's toy barn. But when the toys find Woody, Woody refuses to return home with them. Buzz reminds Woody that the true purpose of a toy is to be played with, and Woody changes his mind again, convincing Jesse and Bullseye to come back to Andy's house. But the prospector refuses. He traps Woody and Jesse and Bullseye in their cases as Al comes to take them to the airport. Andy's toys follow Al to the airport, where they chase Woody through baggage handling. In the action sequence, they defeat the prospector and save Jesse, Bullseye, and Woody. The toys return to Andy's house, still concerned that Andy might one day outgrow them, but happy to have each other. Hey, howdy, hey. Hello. So we just finished watching Toy Story 2. Tay, what did you think? I have so many thoughts, Josh. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, first of all, I remember not liking this movie at all when I watched it as a kid. Okay. I wish I could remember why, <laughs> but I just was totally out on it. Uh huh. Happy to report that I like it more now. Really? Yes, but that's because I just didn't like it. Okay. Um, anyway, I enjoyed it and have a lot of feelings, but we can start with what we liked. Yeah. All right, so Buzz's character, I just loved his subplot where they go more into depth on his, the whole lore of Buzz and Zerg, and it's just a very clear Star Wars spoof, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. They go to a toy store where they see a whole row of factory buzzes and then they bring in one of the fresh out of the box buzzes. Mm -hmm. And he's just as totally delusional as original buzz was. 
So it's fun to have that joke in there again. And it's also fun to compare them and to see how far our buzz has come. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy that. I also think it made me more excited about the upcoming Pixar movie Lightyear, where they go into the story about the human who inspired the toy buzz. I'm so curious about what that's going to be. Yeah. The movie starts with a scene from the Buzz Lightyear video game where he takes on evil Emperor Zerg. And for a while, I was wondering if we were just getting an early cut of Lightyear. But no, that's just how Toy Story 2 starts. What about you? What did you like? I also really liked that it was really reference heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, That felt so uh, forward looking about so much of media right now. Obviously, the whole thing is to say it references Star Wars is maybe underplaying it. The whole thing is, you know, in some ways a Star Wars ripoff. You know, Zerg being Buzz's father. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) And, you know, just the way the opening credits roll in over the star background. But also there are Indiana Jones references and lots of different references on genre and on heist movies. And I, I, yeah, I just... I really enjoyed the humor that came from that. I also really loved the relationship between Jesse and Emily. This was the first time in this run that there's been a moment in a Pixar movie that made me genuinely emotional, which I know is a is something that will recur. But the montage of, of Jesse playing with her kid, Emily, where Jesse loved Emily and they played together and then Jesse was left behind and eventually uh, donated uh, made me genuinely emotional and I think brought a lot of depth to what the toys go through and why this relationship between toy and kid is so special. I thought that was really valuable. Yeah, I loved that montage and it's definitely kind of our first peek on what they'll eventually do so well and up. I think there are a lot of points in this movie that foreshadow other moments in Pixar. In Pixarverse. <laughs> in Pixarverse. There's a rescue scene that is very similar to a scene in The Incredibles. There's a scene where at the end of the movie when they're on the luggage belt and all the suitcases are going all over the place and it's very reminiscent of the Monsters, Inc. stores. Yeah. It's just so cool to see how they're building scaffolding both in their storytelling and in their visual effects ability to tell these stories that we know are to come. I feel like this was the first movie that sets us up as, okay, Pixar as a studio is going to be putting out quality movies for the next 20 years. Yeah. Which they have. I want to stay on Jesse a little bit though, because I've got some critiques about it. Not about Jesse specifically, but about the way that the movie is pretty sexist in a couple different ways. And I'm really wondering your thoughts about that. Well, yes, you know that I have thoughts. Mm. I think there's a lot of sexism in this whole movie. Oh, for sure. And it's not just limited to Jesse. So we will touch on the many different aspects of that in this movie. But we'll start with Jesse. Her character in itself, there's nothing wrong with her character. I really love her. I think that she's great. I think she brings so much energy into this ensemble cast. I do have a problem with the fact that she falls into this trap that 
a lot of stories do with their female characters where in order for their female character to have a main role, to have a starring role and to be part of the action of the movie, she has to aggressively express traditionally masculine traits. Mm. So she's loud, she's physically aggressive, she's rash, and she's more stereotypically boyish in a lot of ways than any of the male characters in this movie. Say more about that. How so? So I think that the closest that she comes to is Buzz, because Buzz is also very rash and will jump into action and always wants to take the lead. Mm -hmm. But Buzz is not nearly as loud as she is, Mm -hmm. and he's not as physical as she is. Woody has the same kind of take charge mentality, but he's very kind of type A and will think things through before he acts. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the, the side supporting characters. You know, Slinky Dog is really sweet and nice. Uh, Rex is kind of ditzy and clumsy. It seems like gendered attitudes get to be ignored for most of the main toys, for most of the ensemble. But because Jessie's female, they have to imbue her with stereotypically male traits in order for her to also appeal to the boys in the audience. Whereas there's never any thought about how to get any character, much less the male characters, to appeal to the girls in the audience. Yes, I think that's true, but I don't know that it's as conscious as that is. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to believe that the guys at Pixar sat down and they were like, how can we possibly make this female character likable? But I think that there's a a big thing of them not being able to envision how stereotypically female traits would even work Mm -hmm. in action and how that kind of girl, in quotes, would be able to participate in the main narrative. And I think that we see that so clearly with the other female characters in this story. Mm -hmm. And I I do want to say on that note, When we talk about bias, I don't think any of that is coming from a conscious level from the writers and directors. And I think that's why it's so problematic. It's not just one person with backwards ideas, but it's people thinking they're acting neutrally, but instead putting in these narratives that are the result of their own bias. And that's why this is generally a problem, and specifically in this story. Right. And with (laughs) Jesse. It feels like they work so hard to make her into this kind of not like other girls girl. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, she's still relegated to being a damsel in distress in the climax of the movie. When Mm -hmm. they're at the airport, she gets stuck in the suitcase and she ends up on the airplane and Woody and Buzz have to go rescue her. And of course, her whole character from the show that her and Woody are based on is as the damsel in distress for Woody to save over and over and over. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that show that they watch. So there's this old-timey from the 50s, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. show that featured Woody and Jesse. And Woody and Jesse that we know, the toys, are watching this show. And they start to play-act this show. Mm-hmm. And they, they play-act their roles. And I do not think that the Pixar guys were intentionally doing this, but it's... It's such a clear 
visual of how these characters are learning to perform their gender. It feels like it would have been pretty easy to play this old footage of Jesse as a damsel in distress um, as a commentary on what women, like what the place of women in society used to be like, and then to have a role reversal where the real Jesse is not that way. The real Jesse is quite capable, as we see that she is, but instead we get that trope being reinforced. Mm -hmm. I also had trouble with the depiction of Emily, even though we yes. <laughs> never see her face. As I see it, there's some real judgment passed down by the writers about Emily wanting to wear makeup and paint her nails as opposed to play with toys, as if very, very traditional signifiers of being a teenage girl were strictly negative. Yes, and just the fact that that was how they envisioned what it looks like for a girl to grow up, for a mm -hmm. girl to become a woman. Mm -hmm. It was like they couldn't imagine anything else other than, oh, she goes from playing with toys to wearing makeup. Mm -hmm. And that being directly associated with her leaving behind one of our main characters. Right. She goes from being this beloved human for Jesse. Mm -hmm. She is Jesse's Andy. Mm -hmm. And then as she becomes a woman, she essentially becomes a villain. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've got to talk about the Barbies. <laughs> the Barbies. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So there is a scene in the toy store where our side characters, Potato Head, Ham, Rex and Slinky Dog are in a car and they're driving through the aisles and they drive past the Barbie aisle and they see all the Barbies out in their bikinis. Yeah, the Barbies are having a pool party. And the, these male characters just stop the car and openly gape at the Barbies. It is so cringy. It is yeah. awful. Mr. Potato Head mutters to himself that he's a married spud and, you know. Yeah, he yeah, he's all nervous about, I don't know, ogling another woman and Yeah. I don't know how to say it except for the toys ogle at a bunch of women and then they pick one up and they argue about who gets to be with her. Yeah, that's what happens. It's a really gross scene. And, you know, I said something in our Bugs Life episode about how the transphobia in that movie didn't age well. And mm -hmm. I want to amend that because... I think it's true that people would be much more aware of that and careful about that, about transphobia, about sexism now than they would in the 90s. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's important to say for things like transphobia and sexism, it's not that those things didn't age well. Those things were not okay at the time. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to be careful about saying that even though we are having more conversations about this culturally. Mm -hmm. It's not that it has in 2021 become bad all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It was always bad. And when I watch scenes like this in these 1990s Pixar movies, it's really frustrating because I know how much those scenes have shaped mm -hmm. my own childhood and the childhood of so many people. And I don't want to just let these filmmakers off the hook. 
Yeah. Nor should nor should you. That feels like a good place to to stop on this note. But we should say that even those examples are not all it is in the movie. There are examples with Bo Peep. There are examples as with Mrs. Potato Head as a nagging wife. There are examples as the men go off on the rescue mission and the women wait quietly at home. Sexism is rampant through this movie just almost everywhere you look. And a lot of it could be excused as they just missed it and shouldn't be, as you just said. But then you get the Barbie scene, Mm -hmm. which explicitly is like, guys, you got to know better. Yeah, it's a it's it's a bad look. (laughs) All right. So sexism, I think, is both of our major critique of the movie. I've got another one, though. Okay, just a small one. There are a lot of car crashes in Toy Story movies. It's a good joke in the first movie. There's a chase scene. Woody's in the middle of the road, a couple cars bang together. And the joke is about how when you're the size of a toy and your world is the scale of a toy's world, something as big as a car crash doesn't register as important, right? It's otherworldly. In this movie, the toys cross a huge thoroughfare and cause a huge car crash and If you make the joke once, it's funny. And if you make the joke a second time without that additional necessary commentary or with the commentary being really pervasive that the toys are out of their own scale in the rest of the world, the joke isn't about scale. The joke is that car crashes are funny. And that's not a good joke. Josh, I will admit that I laughed at that. So I'm problematic. (laughs) Let me, I want to seriously address that actually, Mm -hmm. because I think there are lots of things that we excuse because we found them funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a pervasive idea in comedy that you can say things that are problematic as long as you get the laugh. And if you get the laugh, people will forgive anything. And I think that is really true, that as long as you can make something funny, it gives people an ability to say, well, I laughed at it. It must have been humor. It wasn't problematic. Right. I think that's really true. And I think that is part of what has led to so many problems that we have today. And the visual humor of it can work. The toys hiding in the cones is a great scene from the movie. That is a joke about scale. But you don't need all the cars to keep hitting each other in order for the joke to land. The joke, I think, was how Mm. close all of the toys came to death, and they didn't even realize it because Mm -hmm. they were in their cones, and they were about to be crushed by a cement thing. Another joke that works without a multi-car pileup. Exactly. The multi-car pileup, I felt like, was a reference to the first movie, but in Mm -hmm. and of itself, the joke had already landed. I think we get a lot of this in sequels where the filmmakers take the wrong things away from what people liked about the first movie or generally what people like about genres. I think we find this in action movies that people say, well, what the audience wants are car crashes and explosions. But what the audience really wants is tension and high stakes and high stakes. And, and I worry that the filmmakers got this only half right, that they do understand that the scale and the 
the perspective of the toys is what makes it funny. But then they add in this other stuff that I don't think adds the movie in any way and is just kind of an odd. Uh, yeah, I just I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. This is a little bit of a nitpick and I'll definitely take that criticism on myself. But I just wanted to shout it out because if you got a podcast, you got to shout these things out. That's why we're here, guys. Yes, these anti-car or the driving is dangerous takes. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited for cars, Josh. That, okay. We, we're going to start this right now, but get ready for cars, guys. Because here's the thing about cars generally, not the movie, the vehicle. They're immoral. Cars Josh are immoral. Cars. I don't hate cars, but I do think they are, phys- they are unethical and are the basis for most of the problems that humanity faces, specifically the war in the Middle East, climate change, and racism. We can get there later, but I do think that the invention of the automobile has exacerbated all of those issues. So when I see a car on screen, I'm not psyched, guys. Our podcast is so fun, and I love this. <laughs> okay, I want to get to the theme of the movie, because yes, I feel the like you've got, you've got a lot to say about this, so I'm going to let you go for a little bit. Oh, okay. You're just letting me loose. All right. Yeah. So I felt like there were two themes of this movie. There was the theme that the characters were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And then there was the meta theme, the meta commentary that Pixar was making um, on top of all of this. So let's start with the characters. Okay. So I would say in one sentence... The characters are finding where they belong. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I think it's really well done. I will say, emotionally, these character arcs and the theme didn't hit me as hard as Toy Story 1. Mm -hmm. But I did think that it was constructed so well. So, with Woody, he is taken from Andy's house, which is really the only place that he knows. It's the only place that he's ever lived. Mm -hmm. It's the only toys that he's ever lived with. And he's taken to Al's toy barn and he meets Jesse and Bullseye and the Prospector. He meets his people, essentially. Mm -hmm. When he first arrives, Jesse and the Prospector are so excited because Woody has finally arrived and they've heard all about him and everyone knows Woody. And Woody looks at them and says, what are you talking about? And they say, he doesn't know who he is. So they teach him who he is. And he watches these films where he's the star and it's this whole backstory and the lore of Woody. And he learns how to ride bullseye. You know, I think that is such a beautiful moment because we have seen in the setup of the film how Woody rides Andy's puppy. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just naturally does this. It's in his DNA. Mm-hmm. And when he meets Bullseye, Bullseye mirrors the puppy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He's just straight played as a puppy. He wags his tail. He licks Woody's face. Even when he meets Slinky Dog, they're kind of circling and growling at each other. Mm-hmm. So we've already seen how Woody has related to the puppy in the beginning of the movie. But with Bullseye, he starts riding Bullseye and it feels right, but he doesn't know how. Mm-hmm. He's kind of jumping all over the place and he says, whoa, because he's freaked out and Bullseye stops because whoa was a signal for a horse to stop. 
and Woody goes flying off. I totally didn't notice that. Wow. It's so good because it's. I, I felt like it showed both that this was part of Woody without him even mm -hmm. realizing. He, he naturally gravitated towards riding the dog. But even though it's part of him, he doesn't know how. He's never really interacted with this side of him before. He's never really interacted with his heritage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know that I think so much about identity and culture. And so to me, I read a lot of kind of a heritage story in this. Wow, that's really beautiful. I think it's even mirrored in Buzz. So we're getting more into depth about Buzz's arc right now. Yes, but I think that even though it's much more played as a joke and it's very funny, it kind of stacks on top of Woody's story where Buzz is also finding out more about his backstory and his mm -hmm. lore mm -hmm. and who makes Buzz Lightyear the character who he is. Mm -hmm. And also he recognizes not only where the character comes from in this, you know, the lore of the character, but also he recognizes where he came from as a toy on the shelf and... At one point, he even references the other Buzz, New Buzz, and says, was I really like that? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, last movie, we saw that he was like that. Yeah, and I think that this brings up this inherent tension between finding out where you belong, where there's the heritage side. There's what's in your DNA. Mm -hmm. What's in your blood, essentially? What's mm -hmm. your backstory? What your family? But there's also where you belong in the sense of the path that you have created for yourself. So that that's what I now want to ask you about is both Woody and Buzz don't end up with, you know, quote unquote, their own kind. They come back to Andy's room. And I'm wondering how that influences what you're saying about this theme of belonging and this, this theme of heritage. Yeah, so that was, it was so fascinating to me, the whole movie. I think it's so important for Woody when he meets Jesse and he finds out that there's this whole backstory for him. And of course, that's something that I personally really gravitated towards, but I also felt like, and I don't know if this is a criticism of the film or a strength of the film, mm -hmm. I felt like, the movie didn't really know what to do with this question because yes, it's great when Woody finds out his history and Buzz finds out his history too, but they, like you said, they both choose their original path. They choose their mm -hmm. found families, which is beautiful in itself. Mm -hmm. But the movie puts these two ideas really in opposition with each other. When Woody has to choose between staying with Jesse and the prospector and staying in this kind of woody fandom. Mm -hmm. It's painted as if he is in it just for the glory, just for the fame, because he wants to be the big shot, the collector's item. Mm -hmm. And Buzz tells him that's not a life worth living. You mm -hmm. have a life, you have a kid, and you have to live it for him. And so Woody ultimately chooses to go back to his found family and to Andy. Buzz too looks at the, the story of Buzz Lightyear and Zerg and, mm -hmm. and all of that and 
he rejects it. He is a totally different toy than he was at the beginning of the first movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that is beautiful too. It shows that you are more than what's in your blood. You are an individual that can find your own way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I'm talking myself in circles. <laughs> I think that both ideas are so beautiful that heritage is important and that finding your own path is important. I think that you can completely do both in a life mm -hmm. and that those two sides can exist simultaneously. And the parts of the movie that I rubbed up against were the parts that seem to be saying that you have to reject one or the other. You are really putting together a couple puzzle pieces for me that I feel like I had missed because that that has so much more meaning than I had seen in these character arcs. And I felt like I was missing something, but that really does tie together well. And I think just to sort of build off what you're saying, I think what the movie might be saying in that area is it doesn't have answers about heritage versus found family, but it talks about what gives you meaning and you should go to what gives you a meaningful life. To me, that's what Woody's arc is really about is what, what makes his life worth living, really. And we've talked about the references in, in this movie to other epic pieces of pop culture. And I'd just like to throw in another because the hero I kept thinking of in Woody's arc is really one of the first heroes in literature, and that's Achilles. Okay, I, I need more context on this. Okay. But I, I love how excited you are, and I'm, I'm so excited to hear about this. Well, this just occurred to me when you were talking about Woody seeking glory, because that's so much about what Achilles, uh, what Achilles' life is like. Achilles, for those of you who are with us on Pixar but have not done your Homeric uh, research recently. So me, me. Yes. <laughs> um, Achilles is the best warrior in Greece in the Iliad. You may have heard that he gets shot in the heel and dies from that. But before that... I have heard of Achilles' heel. Yes, got it. Yeah. Before that, he's the greatest warrior. And there's a prophecy for Achilles, that he can either go to war against the Trojans and he will die, but he will uh, have glory in his death and he will be sung about and his story will be passed on for generations. He will be, his life will be brief but meaningful. Or he can stay home and he can live a long life, but he will be quickly forgotten and his life will be sterile and unmeaningful. And to me, that reflects the choice that Woody has to make. He can, he can live forever, right? Not forever, but in a long time in this museum, not being played with, but in an exhibit. Or he can get torn up and fall apart and get his arm ripped off as he does, but he does it in service of uh, of meaning. That, that is the context that I see Woody's arc in. Wow. I love that. We can go back to your regularly scheduled non-Homeric uh, <laughs> information. But I really like what you're saying. I was watching the movie thinking about that, but felt like it was missing 
why this was a difficult decision for him and where he's getting meaning at all, as opposed to Andy's the name that's written on the bottom of his shoe. He's got to get back there. And he has to do that because that's what the movie's about, Mm -hmm. that Woody gets kidnapped and he has to go back. And it's just kind of a straight genre movie. And the depth that you added in talking about the heritage aspects, that I think is the depth that makes it a really beautiful arc as opposed to a couple loose threads that are tied together. And I think, too, what you're saying about meaning is the really beautiful answer to that question about do you have to choose and how do you choose? Mm -hmm. I think there were a few other themes that I noticed about loyalty, for example. Buzz and the gang all go after Woody. There's the sense that Woody, you know, Woody went after them, so they have to now go after him. Uh, Woody has to decide if he is loyal to Jesse and his his people or the world that he knows. There's certainly some stuff about the power of friendship. I think we are always asking if it's a kid's movie or an adult movie. I think this movie has the clearest message for kids, which are your friends are important. You know, a, a turning point for Woody is when he hears the song, You Got a Friend in Me. And Real plot twist that Woody sings it. Oh, I loved that that was an mm-hmm. in-universe song. There was a Twitter question, or there was a, a Twitter thing a few weeks ago about what's the best fake song? What's the best song that exists in the universe of a movie but is not, like, a real song? And I think You Got a Friend in Me has got to be on that list. It's a contender. Yeah. There are a few others that, if you're interested, I can, I can shout out. We'll put in the show notes. We'll put in the show notes. (laughs) Really figuring out how to use these podcast tools. Okay, back to the main plot. I want to talk about the meta commentary. And I feel like this is going to be about commercialization because, again, it's another movie about toys. And this time they're at a toy store. Yes. This movie has a lot to say about the difference between how kids approach toys and life and how adults approach toys and life. Mm-hmm. It's really contrasted between how Andy and Jesse's kid Emily play with the toys versus how Al, the toy kidnapper, mm-hmm. traps the toys in glass and how the museum keepers wanna keep the toys behind glass forever, never mm-hmm. to be played with. And Al's motivation the whole time is that he knows that he can get a lot of money from selling Woody and the gang because they're collectible items. Mm -hmm. He's driven entirely by greed and money, whereas the kids are just in it for the joy and the love of childhood magic. Mm -hmm. There are real ideas here about how children interact with the world in a way that is pure. And I do like a lot of what the movie is saying. I think that I... I kind of question it a little bit, and maybe this is because I am a cynical adult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it did feel like, well, toys are things that are sold. Toy Story, as an enterprise, is selling a lot of toys for Disney. And these are for-profit items. Yeah. 
Al should not have stolen Woody, but he runs a toy store. Like, it is understandable that his interest in toys is a uh, is what they're worth. I don't know if this is what you're saying. I think that I'm saying that I felt like the movie was trying to sell a myth in a way that that you can divorce capitalism and consumerism from the joy of childhood mm -hmm. but it it's still in there and and it felt like it felt like almost darkly a way to sell more toys mm -hmm. from this toy story universe like these toys bring joy there's a, a commercial maybe a credit card company or something that says what's the cost of peace of mind priceless mm. MasterCard. <laughs> is it, okay. Uh, yeah, so MasterCard is always talking about how things are priceless. And what they mean by priceless is expensive. Because if something can't have a dollar value put on it, that it's more important than money, you can just charge a lot for it. And in a way, that is what the movie in itself is trying to say, that toys are so important. And toys are love. And toys are pure. And because of that, why does it matter how much they cost? And look at the people who care about how much toys cost. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, schlubby dudes in chicken suits with Cheeto dust on their fingers. And immoral. And immoral. Because he steals Woody. Yeah. They are kidnappers. Yes, kidnappers. But yeah, it does seem like they're doing a lot to convince you that you should spend money on toys because toys are love and that even thinking about their value is uh is not good pay no attention to the price tag yeah it's totally worth it yeah do you want your kid to be happy i think you're a little more cynical than me on this i know because and i'm an adult <laughs> <laughs> are we really gonna end on pixar's in it for the money <laughs> pixar's a soulless corporation for our podcast that doesn't feel good here's the thing i I understand why you're taking that away. That was always going to be an issue with having a movie about toys. To be clear, that's not my main takeaway. I think mm -hmm. that's why I couldn't fully buy into what the movie is saying. And I do like what the movie is saying. About belonging. About belonging, but also about the difference and the conflict between consumerism and real love and joy. Yeah, I... I think where I where I disagree is that Pixar is saying that that love comes from the things that you love and the people you love and acknowledges that sometimes these things cost money but the movie is not about how toys bring Andy joy and that more toys will always do that it's about the connection he has with some well-loved toys and some old toys um, you know, Woody is from the 50s. There is a moment where where Andy's mom says this is a family heirloom about Woody. I'm a little unclear if that means that Woody's been in the family for generations. If so, why doesn't he remember that? I think that uh, is a little bit of a, a loose thread. But uh, much like Woody's shoulder. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
At the end of the day, Pixar might be advocating not for buying your kids new toys, but instead giving them the toys that are in the closet. Fixing up your old toys. But, Reduce, reuse, recycle. I'm but, back in. I'm back in on this. But for no reason can you ever buy your daughter's makeup. No, then they will turn evil. Yeah. Well, soulless, at least. And that's the podcast. God, that... <laughs> Seriously, that is like a lot of what what I'm thinking about. It's just like this movie is just a lot about how growing up is is hard and you leave a lot of things behind and you hurt the things you leave behind. The adults in this movie do not come off well. When Emily grows up, there's a a moment where she stops being good and and Andy is just good because he's a kid. And there's that looming threat that Andy is going to grow up. Yeah, he won't take you to college. He won't take you on his honeymoon. For what it's worth, I brought my favorite toy to college. You know, We did both turn to each other at the end of the movie and we said, we're never throwing away our favorite toys. Yeah, I'll be with you forever, bud. Yeah, take that, cynical adults. <laughs> Well, I enjoyed watching that one. It was not my favorite of the ones we've watched, but it might have been my favorite to think about. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited for Monsters, Inc. now. We have high expectations for next week. Yeah, that one has always been my favorite, so I hope that it lives up to scrutiny. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see then. All right. As always, thank you guys for joining us. Bye. If you like this episode, tell a friend who might like it too. Word of mouth is the best way for us to get discovered, so we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time for Monsters, Inc.